So many of you were here two Sundays ago as we celebrated with the Sudanese Grace Congregation in our worship service. Perhaps you noticed the beautiful photos of our time together on page six of your bulletin. It was a wonderful service, yet also bittersweet. As we were celebrating the gift of a new church space for them, we were saying goodbye. This past Friday, Sudanese Grace hosted a dedication service in their new building. The church was packed. The Sudanese children's choir sang, presentations were made, speeches given, more songs, communion. It was a holy and marvelous celebration, a time of true joy and gratitude. A large number of the members of the Sudanese Grace congregation have endured trauma and life experiences that are beyond my wildest imagination. With the exception of the children, every member had to leave all that is familiar to immigrate to a country and a culture and a climate so different from their own. They represent a wonder of the human spirit and a testimony of perseverance. To hear them sing praises to God and to see them commit to each other and to Jesus their Savior is a marvelous thing. Their journey has not been smooth, but to witness the strength and fortitude of their church is to see a vibrant picture of discipleship. This morning, we are continuing in our series titled, Seven Decisions, a Study of the Apostles. Thus far, we have explored critical decisions made by Andrew, Nathaniel, Matthew, Judas, and the brothers James and John. We are now going to zero in on a decision made by one of the most notorious apostles, Peter. Peter is the apostle who denied knowing Jesus, he rebuked Jesus, he once tried to walk on water, and in a fit of passion, he cut off the ear of a centurion. Peter's impulsive actions, as documented in scripture, are legendary. Yet Peter is also a model of faithfulness. He made a decision of discipleship, and because of this, he was named the rock, the foundational rock of the church of Jesus. So what might this mean for us today? Naming is important, and Peter's many names can be a bit confusing. No fewer than six names are used for Peter in the New Testament. Simon, Simon Peter, Simeon, Simeon Peter, Peter, and Cephas. Simon, Peter's given name, is one of the most popular New Testament names, and it can be tricky to separate which Simon scripture is actually talking about. There's Jesus' brother Simon, Simon the leper, Simon of Cyrene, just to name a few. So isn't it fascinating that Jesus gives Peter yet another name? And this name has deep significance for the movement of followers in the early church as well as believers today. Jesus' renaming of Simon Peter is a lot to unpack. Why did he do this? What can we learn from this? Over the last several weeks in our series on the Apostles, a book by Tom Bissell has continually been referenced. 
This author took years to pilgrimage the sites where supposedly the apostles were buried. He has a fascination with this band of characters that traveled with Jesus, and he provides some interesting insight about Peter. In his book, Apostle Travels Among the Tombs of the Twelve, Bissell writes of this renaming of Peter. According to the book of Matthew, we meet Simon, who is called Peter. But later, the gospel's author chooses to elaborate on this tradition when he has Jesus say, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Among Aramaic-speaking Jews, Peter would have been known as Simeon. Among Greek-speaking Jews and Gentiles, Simon. Following Jesus' renaming, he would have been known among those Aramaic-speaking Jews as Cephas. Among Greek-speaking Jews and Gentiles, Petros. Neither of Peter's names is a direct translation from rock. Greek is a gendered language, and the Greek word for rock is feminine. And the word is infrequent in ancient Aramaic literature and almost never appears as a proper name. Hmm. According to the scholar Femi Perkins, because neither name means rock exactly, the most equivalent English name would be something like Rocky. Rocky. Jesus named Peter Rocky? If this name has you conjuring up an image in your mind of Sylvester Stallone as an underdog boxer from Philadelphia, good. Me too. In 1976, the film Rocky became a surprise box office hit and critical darling, garnering 10 Oscar nominations, including Best Actor and Original Screenplay for Stallone. It won that year for Best Picture. Stallone suddenly went from being an actor living on the edge in a Hollywood apartment to a global household name. According to an interview with Stallone published in Variety magazine, the genesis of Rocky dates back to 1975, when Stallone, born in Manhattan's Hell's Kitchen, was a broke, struggling actor who wrote the script in three and a half days after watching a little-known fighter show tremendous heart in battling into the final round against boxing champ Muhammad Ali. Stallone says his story about a no-name club fighter in Philadelphia isn't about boxing. It is really a metaphor for life, he says. This was a love story. He happened to box for a living, but the story is about his love for his wife, Adrian. You root for the underdog, and he has something to fight for, her. The Rocky film series has included eight movies, the most recent being Creed and Creed II. There is an enduring legacy of the Rocky films, and when asked why, Stallone responded, there's something about the perseverance of being so overwhelmed by life and still driving through it. People can relate to it on a subliminal level. Rocky is very touchable. He was the most insecure fighter ever. He just had no belief in himself whatsoever. And I think a lot of people feel that way. They see the character in the film overcome it. 
and they say, you know, I could do that too. So I think the relatability and lack of guile he has is what appeals. So if the apostle Peter shares a name with the boxer, perhaps he also shares this relatability and perseverance with Rocky. In the passage we read from the book of John, Jesus has been teaching a mysterious and troubling lesson about eating flesh and drinking blood. His Jewish audience is reminded of the manna God provided the Israelites. Yet that was temporary, and Jesus' nourishment is not. These words sounded weird and cannibalistic, so many turned away. They were hoping for a warrior king to overthrow the Romans. They didn't understand his teachings and took them to be offensive. This is a good question for us to think about today. Do we embrace the mystery and the difficult teachings of Jesus or walk away? This passage in John mentions those who simply left, Judas who stayed but is just going through the motions, and then Peter who understands something profound that there isn't another option. Life with Christ is the only path and the only way to live. Lord, to whom shall we go? Theologian Susan Hylands writes, The crowd was initially attracted to Jesus when they saw him as a Moses figure, one who could work miracles and provide for political victories. As they continue with him, they learn that Jesus is not offering an easy victory but the long road of discipleship. The message translation of the Bible reads, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. Just like the film Rocky is a metaphor for life, there is a choice. The boxer chooses to live and fight for his wife, Adrian. Peter's question, to whom would we go, reveals his choice. He is choosing to live for Jesus. His commitment has been made, and it has been made because of the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ, and life, real life, is found in him. There is a sense with both Peter and the character of Rocky of being all in, isn't there? Perhaps this is what is so compelling for us today, These men do not make flaky or shaky commitments. They are passionate and determined. Their choices have been made and there is no going back. Yeah, but wait a minute. Peter made his commitment and was all in, but he did all those silly things and he denied Christ three times on the night he was betrayed. How could Peter have made this choice of discipleship yet appear so indecisive? Well, let's look more closely at this word, Rocky. Definition of Rocky, entry one of two. Abounding in or consisting of rocks. Difficult to impress or affect. Insensitive. Firmly held. Steadfast. Definition of Rocky, entry two. Unstable, wobbly. Marked by obstacles or problems. Difficult, rough. A financially rocky year. Huh. So rocky can mean steadfast like a rock or unstable like a relationship. 
Rocky can be a wonderful compliment or a terrible insult. Apparently, it can be both good and bad. The term Rocky is a contronym. A contronym is a word with two meanings that happen to be the opposite of each other. I would like to believe that once Peter committed to a life of discipleship with Jesus, that the rest was rosy, easy, and lovely. Yet this is simply not true. This is not how it works. For any of us to commit our lives to following Jesus and to orient our lives around his life and teachings, there is disruption. It can be rocky. Perhaps in naming Peter Rocky, there is an acknowledgement that life with Jesus Life as a disciple is better, but not easier. It has rocky endurance and is steadfast. And also our emotions can be rocky. When life is unpredictable, our commitment to being a faithful disciple can sometimes feel rocky. So I confess that Sylvester Stallone was my first word association with the term rocky as I studied Tom Bissell's chapter on Peter. But my second visual association with the word was a picture of a shoreline. Beaches and bodies of water are full of rocks, some more sandy, others full of boulders or pebbles. Is there spiritual significance to a rocky shoreline? According to biologists, unlike rapidly changing sandy shores, think about what's happening to our own beloved Lake Michigan shoreline, Rocky shore habitats are relatively stable and provide secure surfaces for living things to attach to. The wind, waves, and temperature and salinity of the water work together with the animals that live there to shape the shoreline. Again, we are confronted with the contronym of the word rocky. A pile of rocks can be slippery. Individual rocks can be dangerous. They can cut and poke and be quite nasty to the hull of a boat. But rocky shore habitats are relatively stable and provide secure surfaces for living things to attach to. Interesting, isn't it? In the book of Matthew, we read the passage passage where Jesus changes Peter's name. Peter says, you are the Christ, and Jesus in turn names him Rocky. Peter identifies Jesus' true identity, then Jesus identifies Peter's true identity. Jesus says that Peter will be the leader of the church. Peter's rockiness will provide a foundation for the followers of Jesus and the church to come. On this rockiness, habitats, like places of worship, will be relatively stable and provide secure surfaces for living things, like people. To attach to. The message translation of this Matthew passage has Jesus saying, And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. In the organism, the habitat of the church, People will feel feel secure, will grow and adapt and flourish, and it will be expansive with energy. 
So if Peter was not always a perfect disciple, yet Jesus used him to do mighty things by building the church, then what about us? Does our wobbliness as disciples determine whether or not we can be used by God? Clearly not, when we look at the example of Peter. Perhaps the better question is, are we all in? When we acknowledge the true identity of Jesus and give our lives to him, we are rocks too. As we gather here in this room at the Church of Mayflower, we are rocky. All of us together are a force. Our passage this morning from 1 Peter tells us that each believer is a stone. One stone does not make a church. Discipleship does not happen in a vacuum. We are to live out this extraordinary life of love, which means being in relationship with one another. This is tricky in an individualistic society where faith is considered private. Yet this is not what Jesus is teaching through the life of Peter. The decision of discipleship begins with the identity of Christ. Then our identity is revealed, and that is what we bring to each other as the church. This is worth celebrating. And this is what I saw on Friday night as the Sudanese church marked this incredible milestone in the life of their congregation. They are the embodiment of a rocky shoreline, a flourishing habitat clinging to each other while the waves have crashed, and the community of disciples who have said they are all in. In the dedication ceremony, they acknowledge the other churches who have offered them shelter and support, namely Grace Episcopal and Mayflower. We were able to provide secure surfaces for their living and growing community to attach to. The rocks of our churches have together built up the faith community of Grand Rapids and beyond. This has empowered Sudanese Grace to continue the expanse of its shoreline habitat. In their new church building, they plan to offer daycare, nutritional and health education, financial literacy, post-trauma counseling, immigration services, and more. All this from a church that started with ten lost boys and two lost girls who, like Peter, made a decision of discipleship. When Peter asked Jesus, to whom shall we go, one biblical commentator writes, The implication is that the disciples must attach themselves to someone as a teacher and mediator in divine things. They cannot imagine that anyone should be to them what Jesus has been. Especially are they bound to him because he has words of eternal life. The decision of discipleship is eternal and it is life. And it just might be rocky. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.